Please be seated. Just to mention, as you can see, that we've got the bookstall today, and uh, we've mentioned this book several times, and Andrew's got a few copies of them. Tim Keller's The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Brilliant book. And then our book of the month is uh, Ask, uh, which is my book for 15 to 17-year-old teenagers, but also maybe for others as well. And uh, just let me say that if uh, you are in Spy, then don't buy a copy because you're getting one for free. Um, Or do, buy one and give it to someone else. And again, can I also thank those who helped last night. Uh, It was a good night, and that was largely due to uh, all those who put so much effort in. That's really appreciated. And we remember as well our, our brother, John Cooper, whose uh, stepfather uh, died this week, and we pray for John and for his mother and, and for the whole family. Now we're going to turn to God's Word, to Romans chapter 15, and uh, I want to read from verse 14. So you'll find that if you're using the uh, church Bible, if you collect one from the front, I think in most of them, it is on page 1141. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I've written to you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Ilkriacum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to see you. I plan to do so, rather, when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia, we're pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings... They owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I've completed this task and have made sure that they've received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, let me maybe um, 
Before we look at this, let me just pray. O oh Lord our God, you have prepared for those who love you such good things that we cannot understand. So pour into our hearts such a love towards you that we, loving you above all things, may obtain your promises which exceed everything we can expect. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, we are going to look at, uh, we look at this passage and we look at what Paul says about the church in Rome and his own ministry. And we do so thinking about where we are uh, at as a church. And uh, I'm going to give you seven things because that's the perfect number and I can't remember, was it 14 or 21 last week? That was too much. So uh, seven things that this church or if you're from another church, I hope uh, you would say, be able to say this about your church or if you're not from a church at all and you're wondering what, what all this is about, I hope you will be able to, to see in verse 14, notice what Paul says about the church. It's a very grounded church. It's a very solid church. Unlike when he was writing to the Hebrews, where he said, you, you, you know, you needed to be taught basic doctrine all over again. He says some great things here about this church. Uh, he, he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, and there have been difficulties and problems, and that's been clear in the letter. But he's not writing in a sense as someone who's kind of Superior, he's saying, I, I am impressed. You are, you are full of goodness. You are full of kindness. You are filled with knowledge, and that's knowledge of the gospel. And you are competent to instruct one another. What a great commendation for a church. Filled with goodness and competent to instruct one another. Let me just say something about that, that last thing. I think the goodness, by the way, is... is could also be translated kindness. If we're to be a fellowship of God's people, we have to be kind to one another. Uh, sometimes that's not easy. Okay? It's not, sometimes it's not easy. Um, and here's one thing about the church. We don't get to choose who belongs to the church. So it's not you and your pals. We only meet with those whom... God calls. And I can guarantee you this. If any one of us here was picking the church, we wouldn't pick us lot. Um, you wouldn't probably pick, but then you probably wouldn't be picked either. So, but what's happened is that God has called us together and we have to be kind to one another. Just basic kindness. In, uh, I remember once in France being told by a rather drunken Frenchman, to a sympathique, sympathetic. I thought it meant, but it, mean, it means it's it's more than that. There's there's a and you see it in some people's faces, even, even how they behave. There's a warmth and there is a, a a kindness. But we also we have to be able to teach one another. The teaching myself, Sinclair, whoever is is preaching God's word from here. That is a proclamation of the word of God, but there are many other kinds of teaching that go on. And one of the reasons that we do it is to teach you God's word so that you can share it with others, whether it's in outreach or whether it's in your own homes, whether it's in, in the home groups or in different places. We should be able to teach one another. 
And that's why things like one-to-ones, uh, uh, everything gets called jargon, but it's just basic Christianity. That when we sit down and share together, we talk about the Lord and we talk about his word and we instruct and encourage one another. And Paul's saying to the Roman Christians, you're good at this. You're competent to instruct one another. Those who honored the Lord talked often with each other. So this is a grounded church. It's also a church that's got grace. Look at verses 15 to 16 where uh, I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. Why did Paul write Romans? Paul wrote Romans to remind the Romans of what they already knew. And you may think, you know, I've heard this before. One of the most fatal things in terms of Christian growth is when you go, yeah, I know all this. I've heard this. I've learned the formula. We need to be reminded over and over and over again what the gospel is. I think of Luther preaching the gospel to himself every day. I think it's one of the most wonderful things that you may have been a Christian for 40, 50, 60 years and the good news hits you in its freshness again and again. So Paul wrote this to remind them and there's a kind of repetition, but he also, he was deeply conscious of his calling. Let me give you, sorry, just one example of that reminding. Um, Many years ago in some of the house groups, we did uh, Tim Keller's What is a Christian from the Gospel of Mark? And I, I do remember two senior members of the congregation saying to me in our group anyway, this was many years ago, saying, well, we know this. And into the second study, I remember one of them saying, I didn't know this. And you know, the gospel, people say, oh, you know the gospel, you move on to other stuff. No, you don't. Because the gospel, we will, we will spend eternity wondering at the gospel, at the good news. How can this be true? How can this be true? How can this be true? It's almost like, for me, if I was describing the gospel, I would just simply say, the reaction of the Christian is, me? You're kidding? You did that for me? No way. That's why we need reminded of the gospel. But he's talking about grace here, and it's the grace that's been given him to tell the gospel. So he... he, Look what he says. God gave me, the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Now the language he uses here is liturgical language. It's language of the priesthood. And if you go back into the Old Testament, you'll find, you know, the Aaronic priesthood and, uh, uh, and all the Levitical laws and everything else. And what Paul is doing here is, remember he's been writing about a possible rift between Jewish and, and Gentile Christians. And he's taking the liturgical language of the Old Testament and he's bringing it into the New Testament and he's saying, I'm a minister of Christ Jesus. I, I, I like the word minister. You know, I hate the word senior pastor uh, for the age thing, but I do like the word minister. I, I, think, it, I think it's this idea of ministering and of, of serving. 
And it's a privilege to be able to minister. And look at, look, look what he talks about this ultimate priesthood. There's a sense, as Peter says, that we are, we're a priesthood of all believers, as a priest of all believers. And we minister. And, and what are we bringing to God? What are we offering to God? We don't do sacrifice in the sense of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. But we do bring to God an offering. And what's the offering? The offering is the people who we tell about Jesus who come to him. That's the offering. And that's really important for us. Any church which has a group of people who come to church thinking, this is how I worship God. I, I, I sing, I pray, I do all these different things, and then I go away and get on with my life. No, no. This is how you worship God. You worship God by bringing people to Jesus, by bringing Jesus to people. That's how you worship God. And you know, it must be one of the most wonderful things in, in heaven to meet people who are there because God used you to bring the gospel to them. And it's not just people who are in official ministerial capacities like, like mine. It is, it, it is all of us. You know, I, I can think of people who are very, very influential in my becoming a Christian, and you can think of others as well. And maybe some of them don't know. And what a wonderful thing to be able to say to the Lord, here's my offering. This person, that person, this person, that person. That's why I love Psalm 126. He who sows in tears will reap with songs of joy. Or if you're old brethren style, you'll recognize bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Well... That's what we exist for as a church. It's God's grace that he's called us to himself and it's God's grace that he's given us this gospel to proclaim. And that's why we glory. Therefore, he says, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. Is it right to boast? Yes, it is. We boast in Jesus. But sometimes you get people, and far too often I'm one of them, who will, who will talk about what they do and it becomes so much more about us than it is about Christ. And yet, in a kind of overreaction to that, you get other people who will never say anything. But God works through means. And what Paul does here is very clever. And it's very, very balanced. He doesn't talk about his own exploits, but he talks about what Christ has done through him. And that's a subtle but important distinction. He doesn't just give a platitude, oh, it's all about Jesus. He says, this is what happened, and God did it. This is what happened, and God did it. I won't speak of anything, he says, except what Christ has done. But, except what Christ has done by what I have said and what I have done. Word and deed go together. So Paul's not being falsely humble. He's being genuinely humble because he's saying, it is incredible what God has done. And I've been involved in this, but, but. It's God who did it through. Paul knew that he was the chief of sinners. He knew that. And yet God had taken his words and God had taken his actions and not how word and deed go together. And there had been this tremendous blessing. The signs and wonders, the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Hebrews 2.4, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. 
Now, it's very clear that when the New Testament speaks of signs and wonders, it is speaking of the marks of an apostle. I'm a little bit tired of getting letters from apostles all the time. I'm apostle this and apostle that. And apostle. No, you're not. You're not. You really are not. You don't do the signs and wonders of the apostles. The signs and wonders of the apostles, the 12 plus Paul, uh, were unique and remarkable. And Paul's is saying, look, the signs and wonders were done. That was, that was, that's what God did through him. Chrysostom says this about it. The signs of Paul's apostolic priesthood were not the long garment and the bells as of old, nor the mitre and the turban, but signs and wonders far more awful in the sense of awesome than these. Now, we still have the power of the Spirit through the power of the Spirit. But the church has been deceived many times by people who've claimed to be able to work signs and wonders. And, you know, I would urge you to be very, very cautious about people who claim that kind of ability and power. But we still have the power of the Spirit, and we will not get anywhere without the power of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit is seen. Look how that fruit is seen. It's seen in people obeying God. What Christ has done Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Change lives, transform lives. And again in our evangelism, please be very, very wary of thinking evangelism as let's get people to sign up to coming to church or let's get people to say a prayer or let's get people to do this to say they've got faith in Jesus. Be very careful about that. Your evangelism is to tell people the good news about Jesus and the purpose of that is not to sign them up but that they may obey the gospel of God. And that's a transformed life. The testimony is not how many people have you signed up to the church or how many people have you got to say that they've become Christians. It's not your job often to close the deal as sometimes people put it. But what you want to see is lives genuinely transformed. And for that you have to be incredibly patient We have to pray as we will see. He said, I've done this from Jerusalem to Lyricum. I can never pronounce that word. Basically, it's Yugoslavia, uh, Albania. And if I had a map, I'd show you. I should have thought to do this. But you know, those of you, you all know your geography really, really well. Um, He said, I started in Jerusalem. Well, he started in Antioch. So why does he say Jerusalem? I just think he went back to Jerusalem. He said, from Jerusalem all the way around, go around through Turkey, up to Greece, and then up into Albania and Yugoslavia. And he said, I've done this. I've preached the gospel in all these places. And you know what's fascinating for me about that is we have no record in Acts of Paul going to Albania or Yugoslavia. But we do have a two-year gap. And so he's, he's saying, that, that's what I did. And I, I think that is, is a wonderful thing. What did he do? He planted churches, strong churches, wherever he went. And from those churches, then it, they reached out into all their areas. So, for example, in Ephesus, we hear that when the church was planted after he gave lectures in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, for two years, all Asia, which then meant all of that old Turkey, what we would now call Turkey, heard the gospel. That was Paul's methodology always. Go, preach the gospel, establish the church. The church is the means of communicating the gospel, not hiding it away. I think it's a 
Uh, and that's why Paul can glory, not in himself, but he glories in Christ Jesus in his service to God. So imagine tonight you're sitting at home or the end of next week you're sitting at home or perhaps even at the end of your life you're reflecting on your life. The greatest thing you will ever be able to say is I glory in Christ Jesus because of what he's done through me. Not the, not the contract we have, not the deal, not isn't the Lord going to be grateful because he's got me. But rather, it's just simply, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful what Christ has done, even through someone like me? And here's the thing. There isn't a single person here whom God cannot and does not use. My service for God. You have a service for God. Then, verses 20 to 22. I just love this. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. And he cites Isaiah 52, 15, those who are not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. And what I love about this is Rome is like London or if you're really Scottish, Edinburgh. It's your whole ambition in life to get to Edinburgh. You know, I've made it, I've got to Edinburgh or I've made it, I've got to London. Or if you've got a rather quirky taste, I'm going to Sydney. It's, I've made it. Sydney's the be-all and end-all. You know, whatever, people, I've made it. I've gone to New York. Well, Rome was, was no question, was the center, the place to be. It was the hip and happening, the powerful place. And Paul writes to the Romans and says, I'm coming to you, but it's just a stopover because I want to go to Spain because I want to preach the gospel where it's not been heard. And Spain at that time was a very populated area. And that is, God calls different people to different things. But that's a tremendous thing. So we have a church plant in Charleston, and uh, Andrew, who, as you know, who's leading that, uh, his son will be baptized today. And uh, you know the great thing about Charleston is it's preaching the gospel to people who don't know. Actually, that's true probably of, of most in Dundee, but I still think we, we, we often gear the church towards preaching to people who do know or who have heard. But you know, maybe there comes a time when you say, I want to go and preach the gospel to people who've never heard the gospel. Many preachers will testify to this, that they preach their heart out and they preach God's word. And there are people who sit there and they, they, they've either been Christians or they've been coming along at church for a long time and it's like water off a duck's back or it just bounces. And then you start telling the gospel to people you've never heard and they are utterly amazed. That's what we need in this country, people who are prepared to go and take the gospel to people who have never heard. And I love here Paul's ambition, because look what he does. He describes three journeys. First of all, Corinth to Jerusalem. That's about 800 miles. Um, and by the way, he says, I'm coming to you in Rome, but I'm doing a wee uh, detour. So like Rome's over here, but he says, I'm going to go over here first to uh, Jerusalem. That's 800 miles. And then he's going to come from Jerusalem to Rome. That's 1,500 miles. And then he's going to go from Rome to Spain. And that's another 700 miles, over 3,000 miles, and there's no planes. I mean, it's a, it's a huge, huge undertaking. It's a huge, huge journey. 
And I'm sorry, but uh, I, I couldn't resist this in terms of uh, some of you will recognize this. I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walks 1,000 miles to tell you the gospel. No. Um, there's just, what I love about this is, is just the, the, the zeal, the enthusiasm, the freshness in, in Paul. I'm coming to you in Rome, but you've heard the gospel. You guys are going to carry on. You need to be reminded of it. I'm going to Spain. And incidentally, the Ilkrium, the Albania, I think what's interesting about that is I think God was preparing him to go to Rome and Spain. I'll tell you why. Because it was Latin speaking. It's like you, Romania and so on. It was Latin speaking. And Paul was used to communicating the gospel in Greek and in Hebrew, Aramaic probably. But when he went there, he would certainly have had to uh, learn Latin. He goes to, to Rome and, and to Spain. It's great gospel ambition. I am believe that that is missing for many of us. Uh, one of the key things I heard several years ago was at the Crete conference, and it was from our brother Sinclair, who, in the middle of his talk, said that he thought that churches in Scotland had given up on expecting growth through people being converted. And the more I thought about that, it really hit me. The more I thought about that, the more I realized it was true. Because we think we grow a church by attracting people who are already Christians or by attracting people who, who already go to church. And how many of us expect the church to grow through it being through people who come to know Jesus? But that's what Paul expected. I'm going to go somewhere where the gospel's not being preached and people are going to become Christians. Then giving, verses 23 to 29. I love verse 23 because he says, there's no more place for me to work in these regions. So you've got this huge area. Jerusalem, Israel, Syria, Antioch, Turkey, Greece, Albania, Yugoslavia or whatever, Croatia. He said, nah, Rome, no, no more place for me to work. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, got to go somewhere else to preach the gospel. There's no more room. My work is done. That's what he's saying. Plants the church, let others continue the work. And then he asks them to do this to assist him on his journey. Now, when, you're go when you read through the New Testament letters, every time you see this phrase, assist on journey, that's now a euphemism for help with gospel work. So, for example, there are several examples. I'll just give you two. 3 John 6. They've told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. So he's saying to the church, they're going to go and preach the gospel. You honor them, help them. Or Titus 3.13, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Now, it is not just simply a church doing a wee prayer at the end of a service or saying we'll remember you every now and then. It's giving provisions and prayer and it's saying we know that God has called you to do this. And that's the, the church at its best has always done that. So there's giving in that sense. But also here you'll notice that there's giving in terms of the poor. Why is Paul doing this ridiculous detour to Jerusalem? Because he personally wants to first give money. Uh, and by the way, Romans 15 is essential for understanding Acts, the latter part of Acts. And you see how it all fits in. But he wants to go to give money that he's collected from churches in Macedonia and Achaia 
In other words, he's probably in Corinth writing this, and he is, uh, if you read First and Second Corinthians, you'll read about the collections that were taken for the poor, the poor who were in Jerusalem. And so Paul has, in preaching the gospel, seen churches established, he's seen Christians set aside a sum of money every, every Lord's Day, and it's been collected together, and he wants to personally deliver it to the church in Jerusalem. Why? Because that church had become very poor. Now, why had it become poor? It could have been because of the famine prophesied by Agabus. It could have been the economy, economic circumstances, and various things. And here's another thought. It could have been because the church themselves were so generous right at the very beginning that they'd impoverished themselves. And there was kind of a debt that Paul felt. He certainly felt the debt of Gentiles to the Jews. You have to bless the Jews. The Jews have blessed you. So you have to bless them, is what he is saying. And so he comes in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He comes to bless the Jewish believers and to give them the gifts that come from the Gentiles. And I love the fact this is at the end of a letter in which he's been talking about the place of the Jews and the place of Israel and which he's talking to a church where there is conflict, there probably has been conflict between uh, Jew and Gentile. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm going back to Jerusalem to give your money to the Jews who gave you the scriptures. And it's, uh, to me, that's a beautiful picture of what goes on in the church. And I love the fact that it's personal as well. I, I, it's a big mistake to me to see people think, well, we, we just give to an organization, then they do it. No, I think church to church is ideally the best because you pray, you care, you people. You know, it's not just about the money. Coming in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So a giving church. And then we, um, sorry for the alliteration, a, really a praying church, but it's grafting in in. in in prayer, because he says that prayer is hard work. He uses a word here that's only used in the New Testament here, and it's this idea of, of striving and struggling in prayer. And Paul's really saying, this is where the battle is, not in my traveling, not in the shipwrecks, not in all the other stuff. This is where the battle is. It's prayer because it's spiritual warfare. It's prayer, to be honest, I think he's probably mostly referring to the fact the problem is with ourselves. We're tired. We're ill-disciplined. We, many of us, find prayer the most difficult aspect of the Christian life. And Paul says, no, no, join in the work with me. You have to pray. You, you, you know, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus and by the love of the Spirit. And what a beautiful phrase that is, the love of the Spirit. Do you love the Holy Spirit? By the love of the Spirit. Join with me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Already, remember in Romans 8, he said about the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know what to pray. We're struggling and groaning. And he urges them to pray two things, that he would be kept safe from unbelievers and that the gifts would be favorably received. Because Paul could turn up in Jerusalem and maybe the gifts wouldn't be accepted. Maybe people might be proud. Who knows? And he urges them to plead that. And then he's, he's, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come to you on my way to Spain. He's confident. But you'll notice that his confidence is in the Lord, not in himself. So that coming and going, the last thing is going out with joy and peace. Just at the end there, verses 32 and 33. It's by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. 
It's a strange providence. Sometimes we, we believe that God has called us to do something or we're on our way somewhere and then there's an intervention, there's something happens. It's by God's will, he says. Everything is by God's will. And that joy, the refreshment. It's lovely when people come together, when we come together in, in the fellowship here and we refresh one another and, and care for one another. And Paul is looking forward to being with the Romans to be refreshed. Now, he didn't know that this would happen, but um, he was going to end up in Rome and he was going to have the Roman believers come to him, but he was under house arrest and he needed to be refreshed by them. But for two years, he was. But also peace. He's looking for peace. And Dunn says this, Paul the Jew, who is also apostle to the Gentiles, says the Jewish benediction over his Gentile readers. He's showing the unity of the church. He, he prays a Jewish benediction over the Gentile believers. And again, Calvin, from the universal word all, I conclude that he did not simply pray that God would be present with and favor the Romans in a general sense, but that he would rule and guide every one of them. The word peace refers, I think, to their circumstances at the time that God, the author of peace, would keep them all united together. The devil always seeks to disrupt and to destroy, to bring disharmony, to bring division and fighting. I've rarely, rarely seen, I have seen it, but I've rarely seen a church divide over doctrine. Much more seen churches divide over personality and people fighting. And we need to plead before God that we are united in Christ and we know God's peace. So let me just finish by emphasizing these things. In terms of the phrase God's will, that's the, the one that's in verse 32 that says, that by God's will I may come to you with joy. I love what John Stott says about this in terms of prayer. The purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours. Is that what you think prayer is? You think prayer is if you argue enough or pray enough or do 24-7 prayer that somehow God's going to go, okay, fair enough, I give in. That's not what prayer is. The purpose of prayer is emphatically not to bend God's will to ours, but rather to align our will to his. So we are praying and God is revealing his will to us. And take the example of Paul. He did come to the Romans, but not as he planned and not as he expected. There were arrests, there were beatings, there was a tragic shipwreck in which he almost and others almost died. You know that when he delivered the money to Jerusalem, he was then arrested and sent as a prisoner to Rome, where as he, as he went up the boots, if you like, of Italy, the Christians came, I think it was two days' journey out of the city to meet him. Here he is coming, but he's coming as a prisoner. And then under house arrest, but he was able to teach when he was under house arrest. People were able to come and visit him. And then, we don't know. The book of Acts finishes, and, you know, I need to ask someone who knows more about these things, and I keep thinking, this is like an episode of 24 or something. You know, that they hype it up, and then you go, oh, I've got to see the next bit. And I'm thinking, where, 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 where's the next bit? 
And I, I've, I've often thought about that, and then preparing for this and looking at this, I thought, you know this, I actually think this is wonderful, because the legend basically, or the, the tradition usually is, Paul was in Rome, he stayed in Rome, and then he was executed. But we just have a huge gap between the time when he was supposed to be executed. And there's a letter, an early church letter by a Clement called First Clement. And in First Clement, it says about Paul that he went to the furthest part of the West to complete his ministry. Now, personally, I think he went to the island of Lewis. And, and Paul did a wee trip round. You know, imagine Paul just uh, hopping a boat and do it. You know, like he went to Jerusalem, that's nothing. You know, he goes to Jerusalem and he gets in, goes straight to Gibraltar, up round Brittany, Wales, Ireland, and then makes it to the, the heavenly island and then says, that's me, my work's done, and comes back. I, I, I don't think he went to the island of Lewis, but I, I do think that he went to Spain. I think he made it to Spain and came back and was then executed. You know, uh, it's just, I mean, we don't know. But in all of this, I love the fact that Acts doesn't finish by saying, and they all lived happily ever after. I think Acts finishes by saying the Acts of the Apostles, which is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit, continues. And it continues without Paul, and it continues until Jesus comes back. And it's continuing here, right now. It's continuing all over the world. You know, because of what Paul taught... Myself and Annabel were able to sit in a meal with our Malaysian and Singaporean friends. Uh, lovely. They have the food of heaven. It was just, it was fantastic. But why? Because Paul did all this and God worked. And I doubt Paul could have imagined just how this gospel that's taught in Romans would now, well, if he believed the Bible, if he believed Christ, of course he would believe it, that it was going to go to every nation, but it has gone to every nation. And that's why Paul says, if it's God's will, and this is what I plan to do, and I'm going to struggle in prayer, and there's all these difficulties and all these troubles, and there, there's trouble ahead and everything else. But he says, that's fine. That's fine. There's freedom. There's the honor of being able to share the gospel. There's this joy and peace. And we need that assurance because we will go through difficult times. In this country, in this church, and in our own lives. It's not a promise we often put on our kitchen walls, but those who follow Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, your faith will be tested. And yet, the joy of serving Christ makes those testings seem light and momentary. Paul said it already in Romans 8, God's providence, God works out all things for the good of those who love him. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The God of peace be with you all. And I, I think that is such a beautiful and a wonderful promise. You know, when we baptize Lewis, do you know what we're doing? We're not saying, oh, we're taking this child and we're, 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 we're making him a Christian. We're Christianizing him. No, that's not what we're doing. We're not saying we're taking this child and we're giving him some kind of superstitious sign to protect him from the hex or from any trouble that's coming. That's not what we're doing. We're simply saying this is a covenant child who nobody would dare bring a child into this world as a Christian unless you believe that God would protect. We're saying that's what, this is God's child. And we pray that God's blessing will be upon that child. And it's the same with this church. This is God's church. It's not my church. It's not the elders' church. 
It's not your church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. And the gates of hell will not prevail against that church. And it's that that gives us the confidence to go out and to tell people about Jesus. And we will see what Paul experienced. Not to that same degree, I doubt. But we will see God's spirit mightily at work. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, bless your word to us. Thank you for this personal testimony of Paul and the balance within it of saying what was done through him and yet giving all glory to you. And we ask that each of us here, we pray that you would use us and that when you do use us, we ask our God that we would give glory to you and we would take none for ourselves. We pray your blessing upon any here who as yet do not know you, that they would come to know you. And that those of us who do would be a a church who have gospel ambition, a church who remember it's by grace we are saved, a church who glory in Jesus, a giving church, that we would be grafters in prayer and that we would know your joy and peace as we go out into a, a dark and hateful world. In your name, amen. We're going to uh, sing the song. If someone could go through and tell the Sunday school kids and the creche as well, they can all come back through. Uh, We're going to sing the song. We praise God for his covenant. And at the end of this song, if the Robertsons could come up, that would be great. We praise God for his covenant with Abraham long ago. Let's stand and sing this to God's praise. We pray.